Many of you might already know that I'm a paraprofessional. I work across the street at RQ Sims and I teach computer basics to third through fifth graders. Uh, the classes come to me on a rotating basis, well not now because it's summer, but they did. And um, so each class, every time a class comes in, every 45 minutes, I have to bring them in and we sit down. A lot of times we'll share good news and then I'll give the instructions for the day. It never fails that just as soon as I get everyone settled and I start giving instructions, one kid's going to yell out, Miss Smith! Are we going to get free time today? Or another kid's going to say, hey, are we going to get some candy? Really? I love teaching, but it could come with joys and pains. I wonder if Jesus understood this. You see, Jesus was a master teacher. He spoke to rich people, poor people, politicians, farmers, social... Uh, high-class outcasts, but regardless of the makeup of the crowd, Jesus had the ability to draw people in with stories and, and questions. He would capture their attention, and then he would drive his point home. One of the things that I like about Jesus' teaching is that he was comfortable not giving all the answers. Jesus wanted people to think to figure things out for themselves and then apply the principles to their own lives. I've noticed, though, that a lot of times today in America, we're not always so comfortable with that kind of teaching in church. Most of the time, we'd rather someone just tell us what everything means, to give us the answers and then tell us what to do. That's easy, it's convenient. But I'm not sure it's always what's best. I think that we should want to think. We need to apply the truths of Scripture to our own lives. It's good for us to wrestle with a passage and try to determine what it means. We should rely more on the Bible than we do on the pastor. If we can accomplish that, we'll be stronger as Christians and stronger as a church. At first glance, the parables of Jesus are pretty straightforward. But the awesome thing about this series is that we're taking more than just a first glance. We're looking deeper between the lines, trying to determine the original meaning of the story and what it means for us today. On the occasion that we're looking at, Jesus was teaching a big crowd. Luke tells us that it was a crowd of thousands, so many that they're trampling each other. Jesus started teaching them about the Pharisees and warning them and instructing them. And then right in the middle of a serious line of teaching, he was interrupted. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Can you imagine that? Jesus, the Son of God, is teaching. Thousands of people are gathered. They're trying to be quiet so everyone can hear. And in the middle of that is one clueless dude clearly not paying attention to what Jesus was saying. All he was thinking about was his inheritance. Maybe he was doodling on his notebook or reading his mail. Maybe he had just gotten a letter from his brother. Nevertheless, he was so concerned with his own affairs that he decided to interrupt the Messiah. I bet he was thinking, you know, I know Jesus has been busy healing the sick and raising the dead, but forget about that right now. I need my money. Hey, Jesus, tell my brother to give me my money. I can only imagine the reaction of the crowd, too. Shh, dude, we're trying to learn. 
Nobody cares about your brother or your money. Jesus looked at the man and he said, Man, who appointed me judge or arbiter between you? In other words, that's not my mission. I didn't come here to settle your petty disputes. Then Jesus used the rude man's interruption to make a point to the whole crowd. Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Hmm. A man's life doesn't consist of his possessions. We don't always think that way, though, do we? We see the rich and the famous with all their stuff, and we think, they've got it made. Wouldn't that be the life? All too often, society measures people by not who they are, but rather what they have. Annie Leonard wrote a book, The Story of Stuff, how our obsession with stuff is trashing the planet, our communities, our health, and a vision for change. In it, she says, we work more hours than folks in almost any other industrialized country in the world. And two of our main activities in our scant leisure time are watching TV and shopping. We go to work, we come home exhausted, we plop down in front of the TV, and then commercials tell us that we need new stuff. So we go shopping. And in order to pay for all of that, we work even more. Watching the way we live it appears that we might believe that life consists of what I have, all of my stuff. I've got to have the latest thing. How can I live without an iPad? I've got to get that new car, a new boat, some new shoes. We live our lives accumulating possessions. We measure our worth by the amount of our wealth. Are we just like the interrupting man? Too busy thinking about stuff to follow the words of Jesus? To this, Jesus responds, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus goes on to further illustrate the point to the interrupting man, to the crowd, and to us. Jesus told a story, a parable you may or may not have heard. He says, And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Let's break that down. The first starts out. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. Then he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. See, this farmer had experienced a banner year, a huge harvest, the biggest ever. But that was a problem. The harvest was too big for his barns, so he hatched a plant. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. That was his plan. It's a good year, and even though I'm rich, you can never have too much. So since I've got so much, I'll tear down the perfectly good barns that have worked up until now, and I'll build 
bigger barns so I can store all my green and all my stuff. In today's world, man, what a great year financially. I don't have enough room for all my stuff, and I need more room for all the stuff I'm going to get. We need to build a bigger house. While we're at it, why not a bigger office? Maybe even a shed or a workshop out back to store more stuff. And since we've had a great year, let's get more stuff and build better places to put it all. That's what that guy was thinking, right? Apparently sharing never occurred to him. Remember, he was already rich. This wasn't now I can finally live without all the pressure. This was the rich getting richer. He had a lot, and now he had even more. I'll tear down my barns. Notice that. He said barns, not barn. He already had a lot. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I'll say to myself, self, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take what you have and rest. Take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. I've arrived. I've made it. And now I'm going to sit back and enjoy my stuff. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourselves? God said, good plan, all that bigger barns thing, but uh, the problem is you're going to die tonight. And when you die, what good are bigger barns? This very night, your life will be demanded from you. I think this guy should have been sharing with the people around him. But instead, his selfish goal was the accumulation of stuff, stuff, and more stuff. Then he died. And the one thing that he wouldn't do when he was alive, he now has to do. Now someone else is going to get his stuff. We have the same choice. We can share willingly while we're living or unwillingly when we die. Whether or not we want to, one day we'll have to share. Then who will get what we have prepared? That's a pretty good story. I bet interrupting man was feeling pretty foolish by now. But then Jesus had a zinger for the entire crowd gathered there. And for us, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. Oh, this story doesn't just apply to the greedy rich farmer, does it? Or interrupting man. It applies to us as well. If we live our lives accumulating possessions, when we measure our value by what we have and what we can get, if we make that our life goal, then we are just like the rich fool who built bigger barns to store his crops and stuff. All the stuff that we're working so hard to accumulate and save, one day won't do us any good. If we're hoarding it for ourselves, we are foolishly building bigger barns. Remember that sometimes Jesus would let people ponder on the parables? On this occasion, he didn't leave the crowd wondering what the application was. Instead, he followed it with a more familiar teaching. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. In other words, why are you so stressed out about your clothes and if you have enough. Isn't life more than that? 
Isn't life more than all the stuff that you're stressed out and worried about? Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Actually, all that worrying is taking hours off your life and giving you wrinkles. Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow, how much more will he clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? See, Jesus is talking about the weight that we feel every day. The stress, decision after decision, pressure after pressure. And he says, O oh, you of little faith, don't you trust me? If you trusted me, you would know that I'm willing to carry that for you. You don't have to live that way. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world, people who don't even believe in God, who believe that when you die, it's over, that's how they live their life. They run after such things. And your father knows that you need them. That's powerful. Your heavenly father knows what you need. God understands your needs. God understands the pressure. He's not a distant God sending out unreasonable commands without regard to your condition. Your heavenly father, he knows what you need. Back in July of last year, Keith decided to leave the company that he had worked for about seven years. It was just time to move on. He enjoyed his new job, but someone came to him in January and offered him what appeared to be the dream job. It seemed like an amazing opportunity, so he decided to take it. Things were going pretty well for about a month, but then payday came and no paycheck came. Um, this went on for about a month. He received broken promise after broken promise until he had said, no, that's enough. I can't keep working with no money. It was a tough time for us financially. We weren't able to just go out every day and go pick up a loaf of bread or get the things that we were used to on a daily basis. However, through the generosity of our friends and the grace of God, we still had everything that we needed. It gave us a new perspective on what we really can live without. As humans, sometimes we have a tendency to turn wants into needs. We say things like, I need a new phone. This is last year's model. Or we should go to Hawaiian Falls. That's what we need to do because the local pool is boring. Or I need cable. I'm tired of Netflix. We turn our needs into wants to justify irrational spending or misplaced priorities. I think there's basically four categories when it comes to things that we want and need. There's things that we really do need, things that you think you need, things you don't really need, but you think you need, and then things you never knew you needed or wanted until you saw someone else with it. 
Now you got to have it. There's no way you can live without it, right? But need is the key word, right? Sometimes what we want is not what we need. Every parent in the room understands that, right? If we gave our kids everything they wanted, it would destroy them. But we will do whatever it takes to make sure they have what they need. And it's the same way with God. Your heavenly Father knows your needs, and he will see them met. In the next verse, Jesus gives the principle. He says, let me tell you a whole different way to live your life, a whole different approach to everything that you want and own and need, an approach that will help you handle all that stress and worry and make your priorities clear. I think you'll recognize this verse. But seek his kingdom, and all these things will be given to you as well. God says, if you'll make me the priority, if you'll make my kingdom the priority, if you put my kingdom first, I'll take care of all the other things that you're worried about. God's not against having good food or nice clothes or a place to sleep or a car to drive. He's not against a new computer or a private school for the kids or even that vacation. God's not against those things. But what Jesus is saying is that we have to determine what's going to be the priority. Is the priority accumulating stuff? If so, then we're just like the pagans who live their lives running after things. Just like the guy that tore down the perfectly good barns to build bigger ones. And just like that guy that missed Jesus' teaching because he was too worried about money. See, it's not about how much you have. It's more of a question of your priority. What matters the most? So how do we safeguard against being like the rich, foolish farmer? How to ensure that we're being rich towards God and seeking his kingdom? I have a few suggestions. One, evaluate your stuff. You have to decide how much is enough. Am I like the rich fool building new barns to store more stuff? Am I measuring life by my possessions? Evaluate how important is stuff to me? Is my life out of balance? Is it time to get rid of some stuff? Maybe it's time to reorder our financial and possessions life. Has anyone ever heard of Marie Kondo? Okay, I hadn't, but apparently she has this theory that you should keep only the stuff that sparks joy in your life, right? And it sounds reasonable, but it also kind of sounds silly and maybe a little dangerous because there's a lot of things that might spark a temporary joy. But the method does force you to take an inventory. It actually evaluate your possessions. So here's some suggestions, some questions you might ask yourself when you evaluate your stuff. How long has it been since I've worn this? Has it been a year or more? Maybe it's time to get rid of it. Why did I buy this in the first place? Am I really using that bread maker? Why did I buy it? Am I competing with others with my stuff? Did I buy this because I need it or because it was the latest, greatest thing that makes me look cool? Am I worshiping my stuff? Did I choose this over honoring God with my time? What else could I have done 
with what I spend on this to make an eternal difference. So I have to confess that Keith and I felt like we had outgrown our house here a while back. We were looking at real estate sites for a bigger one. I had this whole list of um, everything that it needed to have, right? I needed a fourth bedroom slash office for my desk. I need a big walk-in closet for all of my clothes, a storage shed in the back to store things that we're not using, and so on and so far. You know, a bigger barn for all my stuff, right? And all this under $100,000, right? Can you give me that? Make that happen? Um, but it occurred to us that the house that we have is a really good house, and we're blessed to have it. Maybe what we should do instead is look at all the things that we're not using anymore and give it away. So I went through our stuff, and I wanted Keith to help, but he was working, you know. I gathered a few things, and I picked some stuff to give away. Uh, let's see. Keith is kind of a collector of some, he likes electronics. Um, let's see, he's got this little Bluetooth speaker that he got another one. Anybody want a Bluetooth speaker? Bluetooth speaker? Here you go, Ashley. Um, I have another speaker. I'm not sure. I don't think it's Bluetooth. I'm... Oh, it's a Wi-Fi speaker. Woohoo! Marcus, you want to come get it? Come get it? Huh? Oh, too late. No, just kidding. Um, let's see. Told you he likes electronics. Um, a battery pack. Here you go. It'll charge your phone like you charge this, and then you take it with you, and then when your phone, yeah, you know how that works. All right, this one. I love this. Okay, if you ever smell something that don't smell right, it's not Keith, right? Because Keith likes cologne. He likes to smell good. Right? And so I think he got this deal on this cologne here. It was like buy one, get one. And I don't think he ever opened either one. He's, he has a lot of cologne. So he always smells good. Cologne? Cologne? Want one? Okay. Oh, that's just the start. Um, that was easy for me, though, right? Giving away Keith's stuff was easy. But it might be a little more difficult to give away my stuff. But that's what has to be done, right? We're supposed to evaluate our own stuff and start with ourselves. I did. I was trying to skip this part, but here we go. All right, hello, my name is Chastity, and I'm a coffee-holic, okay? I love coffee. And I like coffee in the single cups, right? Not, like, so I bought this. I thought, hmm, I'll take it to school. But I was like, hmm, I just don't like it. So I bought another one. So anybody need a little coffee pot? Coffee pot? Somebody? Here you go. Right? I'm not so I bought that one, and I didn't like the brew. I, I like the single cups. So I found this one on sale. And I bought this one too. But then a friend of mine was selling an even bigger one. 
So I was like, I don't need four coffee pots. I mean, it's hard because I was like, well, what if one of them quits working and I just put this one in storage? But here we go. You want a single cup coffee maker? Coffee maker? You want a coffee cup? Find somebody to get it to. You can re-gift it. I'm a big re-gifter. I save bags. Uh. Oh, that was harder, okay? I was like, I was going to keep it if nobody wanted it. Uh. So we began evaluating stuff. That was step one. Step two is to tithe. Bef- after we evaluate our stuff, it's important to make sure that we're being obedient with our finances. See, tithing is the first 10% of your income to God. It's presented as a suggestion, but it's not really a suggestion because the Bible is pretty clear that God expects us to give back the first 10% to him. Malachi 3, 8 through 12 says, Will a man rob God? Will you rob me? But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offering. You're under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord God Almighty. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you'll not have enough room for it. See, it all belongs to God anyway. If you're not giving him his share, if you're not giving what back what he's given you, then you are like the rich fool building bigger barns to store stuff and being stingy towards God. A great way to fight the natural tendency to be selfish is to share. You might wonder, well, can I just give my tithes to others? Is that sharing? That's not really God's system. If you do that, you're giving away what doesn't belong to you. It doesn't make sense. The first 10% is God's. I give that back to him. And then any tithing or any sharing I do is beyond that, out of the 90. For us, tithing is just a starting point. The minimum. We want to go beyond that. See, we recently were challenged to make God's mission our priority. We committed to giving enough each month to buy one Sawyer filter. Remember that? Um, but God was like, is that enough? I felt like, no, it's not enough. So we want to gradually increase our missions givings so that we can help spread the gospel even further. We give to missions through the church because that lets us know the funds are going where they're supposed to. You could do it another way. That's cool. You don't have to do it the same way I do. You could provide a meal for a couple who just had a new baby. You could keep a 20 tucked into your pocket just when God prompts you. Give a connection card, one of those invite cards, and a 20. You'd be like, hey, God told me, you know. There's sometimes I've wanted to give someone something, and I just felt it on my heart, but I'm like, oh, I don't have that with me. You could pick up a cup of coffee for a coworker, bring in groceries for the Share Your Lunch program, send a gift card to your teacher, or your kid's teacher. You know they need it. Give them gift cards, some coffee, whatever. They need it. Um, whatever you choose. Oh, you could also reserve a weekly or monthly amount to give when they have special offerings. 
you know, you just say, look, this is what I'm going to do anytime that comes up. So what, whatever you choose, it's important not to hoard what God has blessed you with. So the last thing I have says next, make God's kingdom your first priority. How do you do that? Jesus didn't really explain that to the crowd, and I don't really have an ex explanation for you. But it does have to do with your mindset, the position of your heart, your motives, where you place your security and your trust. I can't answer the question, but I can tell you, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. See, I think with this, Jesus is calling us to radically reorganize our thinking when it comes to money and possessions. He's reminding us that there's more to life. He tells us that we have a heavenly father that knows our needs and that we're more important to him than the birds or the lilies. He urges us to put his kingdom first, to use our wealth to care for the needs of others. Listen to the Lord as we pray. Be sensitive to his voice. He can and he will reveal the way you can put his kingdom first. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have blessed us richly. God, forgive us for the times we take things for granted. For the times that we think we need something. But God, you say, do you need it? If you needed it, I would give it to you. God, we thank you that you don't give us everything that we want. To keep us humble, God. To keep us focused on you. God, I pray that you would guide us with our finances, Lord, that we would be obedient to you, that we would know what you're calling us to do to help others, God. God, you're not a distant God. You're a good Father that provides, who knows our struggles, who knows how hard it is that our Nature deep down is to be selfish, to save it all. But God, you're calling us to more than that. God, I, I pray over our congregation, God. I know that you're calling us to great things, Father. That you're calling our church to, to be the lighthouse. And God, I pray that you bless each person as they are obedient to you, Lord. Guide our hearts and our thoughts. Father, thank you for your blessings. Father, we love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.